Can we raise a hand clap of praise to our God? Amen. Now find somebody to high five before you sit down from a distance or whatever, but high five some folks. Let's engage each other this morning. Amen. So question comes to mind as we consider that. Anybody know the one thing that God wants more than anything else and we have the power to either give it or not? Anybody know? The Bible is clear. God is looking for people who will worship him. For those of you that are new, we're in a series that we've been calling Building for the Generations. And what we've been talking about is kind of rehearsing, perhaps learning those core values, those bottom line values that are so important to us that quite frankly, that we need built into our own lives that, that our nation desperately needs to be reminded of having been founded on these values, but having drifted very far, I'm afraid, from them. And quite frankly, to put it bluntly, our emerging generation, those coming up along, our kids and teenagers today, desperately need somebody to role model for them. Those core values, the bottom line, we've been rehearsing them week by week, learning them week by week. So let's rehearse them one more time, okay? In fact, next week we'll finish this up, so we'll rehearse them again next week. But let's get them together, okay? You may have noticed you're starting to see signs around in the hallways, on the walls, to remind us of these values, because every now and then values slip. Hello, are you out there? Every now and then values slip. I often say that Kim is the most important human being in my life, but then I look at my calendar and I look at how much I give my time to and how much of it goes to her, and I go, wait a minute, is that really a value? If it is, I've got to realign some things to make sure that that really is a value. So values are important milestones for us. Let's read them together. One, two, three, go. Live biblically. Love unconditionally. Relate securely. Uh, Sincerely, securely, sincerely, okay. Serve unselfishly, grow intentionally, reach globally. And today we're talking about worshiping passionately. The way we unpack that is by saying we value our relationship with God above all others. We engage him honestly and expressively to bring him the honor that he alone is do. Now, that seems really almost like a no-brainer. Who wouldn't want to give God that? But the fact of the matter is, from before human history, there's been a battle uh, for, for worship. Satan himself began the battle trying to get that worship for himself, ultimately got him and a third of the angels kicked out of heaven because of it. But he's been trying since eons past to get people to worship him instead of worshiping the one true God. Even Jesus, before he began his public ministry, Satan went after him, tried to get him to give him worship. And in fact, offered him the whole world. I'll give you all this stuff if you'll just worship me. And Jesus replied in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Even in a weakened state, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus understood the bottom line is the only one that's worthy of our worship is the God of the universe who created it all. What you need to understand is that Satan didn't give up that day. He, he lost the battle with Jesus, so all he did was to shift his focus to you. <laughs> And so the battle rages for you and me is who are we going to give our worship 
two. By the way, this Friday night, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that we understand the answer to that question, and we're gonna answer it. We're gonna gather for a night of worship right here. All four of our locations are coming together for a night of worship. It's gonna be a powerful night of worshiping together, engaging God, bringing him the honor that he alone is due. I hope you make plans now to be here for that night of worship. It's gonna be a powerful night, and in addition to that, we're singing all of the music that, that our bridge music team has been putting together and recording it for our first ever bridge album of um, bridge music sometime next year. Is that gonna be awesome or what? To have bridge music out there blessing the body of Christ. It's been blessing us all year. We're gonna to get to bless uh, in our homes, in our phones, riding down the road, as well as blessing the body of Christ in the world around. So plan to be here Friday night, be a part of that night of worship. Today, in the few minutes I've got with you, I just simply wanna unpack this idea of what does it mean to be a passionate Worship. We said our core value is to worship passionately. What, what are the keys to being a passionate worshiper? And I want to give you three simple ones from Scripture and, and let you reflect on those and, and perhaps uh, uh, embrace them if you haven't already. And then again, this coming Friday night, we have a chance to express that. So let's get into it. Key number one is recognize I am a worshiper. Look at somebody and say, I am a worshiper. Go ahead, look at somebody, say, I am a worshiper. Look at somebody else and say, you are a worshiper. And I know immediately as soon as I say that, some people say, well, you know, I, you know, I, just, I don't really get into that worship stuff. You know, if it was up to me, we'd just skip that first part of the service. I just need the teaching. I just really like the teaching. That's the part I like. Well, it, it may be, that may be true, but it doesn't change the fact that you are a worshiper. Truth is, everybody worships something or someone. Everybody is a worshiper. Understand what the word worship literally means. It's the, from the Greek word proskuneo that means to reverence, to adore, to pay homage. The old English word for worship is worth-ship. And so this idea that maybe the simple definition is worship is, is the honor we give to the one that we value most. The honor to the one or, or to what we value the most. Now, I didn't say that worship is for everything you value. There's lots of stuff to value, a lot of valuable things in life, but we're talking about the one who gets the highest value. That one, by definition, is what or who you worship. Let me give you an example. There is absolutely nothing wrong with driving a nice car. Hello? Nothing wrong with driving a nice car, but we all know people, don't look at them, but we all know people who drive a nice car and they spend hours and hours and hours washing and waxing and cleaning their nice car. Their whole identity is in the kind of car that they drive. You meet them and they're gonna tell you pretty quickly, well, I drive a what you call it, you know, because that's their identity and their value is wrapped up in it. Harry, there's nothing wrong with keeping your car clean. In fact, some of you could probably assemble two toys and a Happy Meal with what's laying in your car right now. <laughs> but we're talking about what we value and value the most. The problem is not valuing, valuing your valuables, easy for you to say. The problem is putting too much value, hear me. The problem is putting too much value in something that can be taken away. Worshiping God does not require that you not care about yourself or that you not care about your stuff. It does require that you settle the question of who or what gets the highest value. And you need to, you need to know before you uh, make a final decision on this thing that this is one of the top 10. This is not top, one of the top 
10 suggestions. It's one of the top 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse three through five, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's saying anything or anyone that you idolize other than God himself ain't gonna cut it for God. It just ain't gonna cut it. He created us in his own image to have relationship with us. He loves us supremely and unconditionally and consistently. He sent his son to die in our place for our sinfulness. And he's all in for us every day of our lives. Frankly, anything less than making him the most valuable relationship we have is certifiably dumb. Because we're putting our value in something that doesn't ultimately love us. Back. So the first question you've got to settle if you're going to be a passionate worshiper is not whether you are a worshiper. You are. The question is, what do you worship? Who do you worship? Is God getting first place or is he getting the leftovers? Settle that one in your heart quickly and soon. The second key uh, is challenging. The first one is obvious, we are worshipers. The second one has a little challenge to it. And that is if you wanna be a passionate worshiper, you're gonna have to challenge consumerism. I don't know, Pastor, that that doesn't sound like a very biblical concept. Well, work with me for a minute, listen to me for a minute. I think you'll understand where I'm coming from when I say we gotta challenge consumerism if we're gonna be passionate worshipers. How many agree with me that we are a consumer-driven culture? Yeah, we are. Uh, I mean, in fact, one of the high values uh, of our culture is to be a smart shopper. We got lots of sources to help us do that. We got consumer reports and we got consumer advocates and we got the Better Business Bureau and we got online comparison websites so you can compare things so you can be a smart shopper. By all means, be a smart shopper. And if you don't believe that's true, the simple proof of that is that when you get a store catalog in the mail, of which we've been getting a dozen a day or so lately, when you open up that catalog, how many of you flip through the pages thinking, let me see how I can make these guys a profit? No, what are you looking for? You're looking for a deal. You're looking for a steal. You're looking for a chance to get a really good uh, cheap price on a really high quality kind of item. Anything wrong with that? Somebody say, no, quick, by all means, manage your money, manage it well, please do that. But when it comes to worship, it's critical that you challenge those ideas because they have slipped into the church. They've slipped into our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me just show it to you. Think about a Sunday morning service, any given Sunday morning service in any given church and, uh, and just think about that for a minute. It, it's kind of like a production in ways. I mean, not exactly, but, but we have lights and we have cameras and, and we have presentations that we make. So it's kind of like a production. In any kind of production, there are three primary elements. First of all, there is the audience. 
Uh, look around you right now. Go ahead and look around you, side to side, around. Those people that are around you, they are, uh, they are the audience. You're all part of the audience. And we love being a part of an audience because there's power in being in the audience. I mean, it's empowering. I mean, as a member of the audience, you have the power to engage in what's going on or choose to stay disengaged. You have the power to, to look for the purpose beyond what's actually happening, or you can just sit and evaluate the performance and decide whether it's good or not, whether you like it or not. Some people are really good at evaluating the performance. God has given them the gift of criticism, and they're just really good at bringing that gift to bear. For them, for these folks, when the music starts, their minds are not connecting with God. Their minds are more on, uh, I don't really like that song. Well, yeah, I like that song. That, that's a good song. Yeah, I like that song. That, you know, I like the worship team that was there last week better than this week. You know, it says, oh, well, the music's too loud. Oh, the music's too soft. Oh, the music's too contemporary. Oh, the music's too old-fashioned. Oh, there's not enough music. I mean, that's, what, that's where these folks' minds go. And when it's time for the preacher, they're kind of sitting out there going, well, let's see. Uh, I'll give that one a 6.7. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's fine. It's just, you know, oh, we got a guest speaker. Are you kidding me? And I should have gone to the beach today. <laughs> I kid you not, the first time I ever preached at the bridge was 10 years ago or more. And we were still over in the other auditorium. Pastor Farrell invited me to come speak one morning. I'm sitting on the front row and they used to print bulletins back in those days. And, and so the bulletin had my name and the topic I was going to preach on building a strong family. And a family came in and sat down behind me and I heard the husband say to the wife, oh, shoot, we got a guest speaker today. <laughs> strong family, we already got a strong family. We don't need to hear this. And I leaned over and said, I heard he's really good. <laughs> and then the service started and I walked up the stage. I've never seen him since. If you're here, uh, come see me after the service and I'll forgive you, Okay. But as a member of the audience, you're a consumer of what's being produced on this stage, and you get to, you get to decide whether you like it or not, right? Well, I like Pastor Jim. I just wish he had some funnier jokes. I mean, it's just, you know, um, if you like it, you'll come back, and if you don't, you, you won't. That's kind of how it works, right? Then the second group that you have are the performers, those are the people who are on stage who really don't like to think of it that way, but, but the truth is there's a sense in which I'm performing you for you right now, and I'm aware of it, and I'm also aware that if I do a good job, I might get to keep my job, and if I don't, then I might not get to keep my job. I mean, that's the reality of a performer. Then, of course, there's the director. That's the third element of any kind of presentation, and because we're Christians and this is a church, we, we hope the Holy Spirit is the director of what we're doing, that, that he's the one who inspired the song selection, and he's the one who, who let the speaker uh, know the topic that should be addressed, and he's the one anointing the message so it goes to our heads, not just uh, to our hearts, not just our, our heads. And so well, you got three elements. You got the audience, you got the performers, and you got the directors. Got it? So that's, that's a performance, right? Got it? Everybody got it? If you got something in your hands, would you put it down, please? Work with me just a minute. Just put it down. And I want you to raise your hands like this. Everybody get your hands up just like this. Now I want you to shake them. I want you to, oh, that looks good. Shake them. Shake them hard. Come on, shake them. Shake them like you're shaking boogers off. Come on, shake them hard. <laughs> What are we shaking off? Everything I just said. Because there ain't a word of truth in anything I just said. You are not the audience. 
and I am not your performer. We are the performers, and he is the audience. Come on. You are not now, you never have been, you never will be the audience of worship, and we're not performing for you, we're just leading you into being, you're the choir. Come on. And so together we bring something that we hope, we pray, is acceptable to God as a humble offering of recognition of who he is. Now that may seem obvious to you. That may seem so simple. But let's be honest, guys, that consumerism has slipped into our thinking. It slipped into the modern church to the point that people hop from church to church to church because they like something, they didn't like something. Well, I'll go over here and see if I like something. And you know, just, that's just the reality of Christianity in these modern times, forgetting that we're not the audience. God is the audience. So if you get that, Everything changes. In fact, let me give you a practical illustration of what I think will happen when you really get that. Not just mentally say, yeah, that makes sense, but you really get it down deep in your, in your soul. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine that you are a salesman, a salesperson, and you have a chance to make a, a presentation to a VIP client. I mean, this is a client that if you can close this deal, it, it, may, be a, a, it may make your year. You may get a big bonus. You may even get a promotion. It may set your career if you can close this deal with this client. It could be, it could be huge for you. And so you've got a chance. You've been invited to come and make a presentation to this client. You're not the audience. The client is the audience, and you are the producer and the performer of what you're going to bring to the client. Everybody with me? Do you guys like this? You're tracking with me, okay? So if I'm the salesman in that critical kind of sale, I'm going to make sure three things are true. First of all, I'm going to get there early. I'm going to get there a few minutes before the presentation so I can slip into the men's room and make sure my hair's not all blown out, make sure my, my, my clothes are sitting well. I am not going to rush into that meeting at the last minute out of breath and say, sorry, guys, I had more important things going on than you, and I just didn't get here in time. I'm not going to do that because I know that it sends a message to this client that I don't really value him or I'd have been here. The second thing uh, is I'm going to come prepared for that. I'm not just going to come in and say, well, you know, we got these products. I think you might like these products. These are good products. Yeah, it's kind of a good product. You might want to have this product. I'm going to go shoot from the hip. I'm going to put my thoughts together. I'm going to process through it. I'm going to put my very best foot forward. So I'm going to get there on time, maybe even early, make sure I'm prepared for it. And then my presentation is going to be as prepared as it possibly can be. But then the third element is going to be, I'm not just going to make my presentation. I'm going to tailor my presentation to what I believe the client needs or wants. I'm not going to walk into that, that client sales meeting and, and say, make my presentation and say, okay, there it is. Take it or leave it. Here's the contract. Sign it, Turkey. I'm out of here. I got better things to do. Not going to do that. I'm going to learn about the client. I'm going to learn about the client's business. I'm going to learn how the product that my company produces can help him. And I'm going to come in and make my presentation tailored follow me, tailored to what he wants so that he will say, man, that would help me. I like that. I'm going to sign on the dotted line. Does that make sense? Okay. So now let's apply that back. Let's go back to a Sunday morning service. 
if God is the VIP client and and the audience, and you and I are the presenters hoping that uh, he'll like what we're offering, what are we going to do? I mean, I can't speak for you. You'll have to decide what you're going to do. But for me, uh, I'm going to be here on time. I know we live in hectic times, and I know that emergencies happen, but you, you need to understand, if you are habitually late, then it sends a message to God to how valuable this is. It just does. And you need to know that. You drag in whenever. Yeah, if I miss the first couple songs, it ain't no big deal. I really like the teaching better anyway, so as long as I get there in time for the teaching, that's what We have to accept If that's what we're thinking, that consumerism has slipped in, that as long as I get what I want from that service, I'm fine. You with me? Maybe we've forgotten that he's the audience. Second thing, I'm going to come prepared. I'm going to be in my seat, and I'm going to be whispering a prayer. Lord, be, be blessed today by the offering that we're about to bring. This whole service, if it goes on for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, hour, whatever, and and let let the whole thing from beginning to end bring a smile to you. I'm going to engage the people around me and say, hey, let's let's link arms and let's let's engage God today and let's make this whole thing be a sweet-smelling savor to him. And I'm going to express worship in a way that he likes, not in a way that I've pre-prepared based on my comfort zone. Oops, he done quit preaching, gone to meddling. (laughs) I'm going to prepare a presentation that he likes, not one that's based on what I've prepared or what my comfort zone says. Now, let's be honest, guys. Worship wars are alive and well in the world. You know what I'm talking about. Do we sing hymns or choruses? Do we have drums and guitars or pianos and organs? Do we dress up or dress down? Do do we clap or not in church? Do we have music instrumentation at all? All that stuff is going on, and every bit of it is based on our personal preference, our comfort zone, right? But we raise it to the level of right or wrong. Well, it's just wrong to have guitars in church. It's just wrong to have drums in church. It's just wrong to do this or to do that. And it's all based on what we like, what our comfort zone. Here's what I need you to understand. Maybe you've traveled some, maybe you haven't, but you perhaps have done it on television if you haven't done it physically. If you travel the planet and see people worshiping, will you see different styles? Will you see different approaches? Yeah, Uh, if you go to Africa... Will the worship style that you see in the heart of Central Africa be different than the worship style that you see in Southeast Asia? And if you get over to Latin America, will that be different? Will they use different instruments? If if you get to India, will that be different? Some different instruments? If you come back to America and you go to, to an urban center versus a rural center, will that be different? Yeah, I planted a church one time out of a church that I was pastoring, and the same people on our praise team uh, became part of that team that launched the new church that we planted, but the first thing they did was to add a mandolin and a banjo because they were moving out into the country in the rural areas because that's what they related to, wanted to make sure that they worshiped in a style that they can engage God. So the question is, which of all of those styles Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia, urban America, rural America, suburban America. Which one does God like? Oh, he likes the one I like, of course. (laughs) 
right? Jesus actually told us the one that God likes. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, whichever style you do it in, do it with all. I got to be honest with you. I've been in some worship services over the years where if I was God, I'd be going, that's all you got? That's, that's as much as you're gonna, energy as you're going to put into this? This is as much as you're going to engage me in what you're about to do? And so hear me, guys. God wants us to worship him with all, whatever expression that happens to be. But as I mentioned, it's not, those expressions are not based on our preferences, our comfort zones. They're supposed to be based on what he likes. Just take a minute and run through just a quick list. We won't do a lot of time teaching this. Get in the growth track. If you haven't gotten in the growth track, get in. One of the semesters, we're going to spend the whole semester on worship and what the Bible says about worship, and we'll talk about these in great detail. But for now, let's just kind of run through the litany of things, and I want you to consider just this, just, I'll just mention a few that are in the owner's manual that God's given us that are genuine expressions of worship, of giving him that honor that he alone is do you can go to the bridge nc app and find the list there you can email me this week info at bridgechurch.cc i'll give you the list you can do your own studies but let me just run through them right quick we'll put them on the screens for you so you can see them as we go praise according to scripture is an act of worship hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 on the other hand an act of kindness a quiet act of kindness of service according to scripture is an act of worship hebrews 13 16 Prayer is an act of worship, according to Revelation 5. Dancing, according to 2 Samuel, is an act of worship. That's, that's about all the dance I got left in me, but I'll do that once in a while. Bowing down is an act of worship, Psalm 95, 6. Singing is an act of worship, and we tend to equate those two things, and so singing is an act of worship. It, it becomes an act of worship, but it's not worship in itself. Worship is so much bigger and broader than that. Psalm 69:30 says that singing is an act of worship, and I realize some of you are, are prison singers. That is to say you're always a few bars behind and you can't find the key. I mean, I get that. But I'm not the audience. He is, and he frankly doesn't care whether you're on key or not. Like a mama got a dandelion brought to her. It's the most beautiful flower on the planet. Don't be worried about that stuff. Hunger to learn. A deep desire to know what does the Bible actually say. What is God's love letter to me? That's an act of worship. Lifting your hands. Maybe true from an area that maybe your background may not be. We love to do it around here. It's an act of worship. I was in a church one time. A friend of mine raised his hands and somebody leaned over and said, is he, ask, is he asking to be excused to the bathroom or what, what, why is he doing that? Clapping is, a, is an act of worship. Obedience. Some say is the highest form of worship. To say, yes, Lord. I don't even know what the question is, but the answer is, yes, sir. Perhaps the most tangible act of worship is giving. It's an act of worship, Philippians 4.18. We could go on, but I think you're getting the point. Some of those things come naturally to you. Some of those things come uh, very quickly to you. Some of them are within your comfort zone, and some are not. 
But I'm challenging you today to stretch. I'm challenging you to, to stretch your comfort zone and worship God knowing that I'm not the audience, we're not the audience, the people watching online are not the audience, he is the audience, and any expression that comes from Scripture is an expression that God likes because he's the one that told us that was an option available to us. In fact, I will suggest that you come this Friday night to the night of worship and pull one of these from the list that I just gave you that is the least comfortable, that there's no way you'd ever see yourself doing that. Come Friday night and give it a try and see if God doesn't stretch you just a little bit as a worshiper. You and I only become passionate worshipers when we realize that everybody worships something, it's based on who you value the most, and we challenge the consumerism that, quite frankly, has invaded the church. But the bottom line, the real key to becoming a passionate worshiper is to remember what God has done for us, is just go back and focus on what he has done for us. You. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 9. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Since we are receiving a kingdom that what? Cannot be shaken. Pastor Jim, what in the world is the world coming to? I can tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it's coming to. It's coming to that day that everything comes under the administration of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 1. That's what it's coming to. And given all the things that he's done for me and given all the reality of what's going to come in the days ahead, how can we not commit to win this battle for our worship? How can we give it to anything other than God? Given what he did for us on Calvary, if he didn't do anything else, given what he's done for us on Calvary and the grace that he's extended to us, what more does he need to do to deserve our worship? I'll just be honest with you. Anytime my expressions of worship become stale or uninspired or kind of rote and routine, I don't have to look very far to realize that I've started giving higher value to something other than my relationship with Jesus Christ. And all I have to do is come back to grace and thank God for grace. And I come back to bringing an offering of worship to him. That's what Paul said. Romans chapter 12, verse one. I like the way the message paraphrases. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. NIV calls it your proper worship. The NCV calls it your spiritual way to worship. Pastor Jim paraphrased, Lord, I bring an offering. I am the which is ultimately what next Sunday at the bridge is all about. Been telling you for weeks now uh, that, uh, that 
November 14th is Commitment Sunday. Around here, we call it Offering Fit for a King. And for those of you that are new, you haven't been a part of that perhaps every year. We ask ourselves, we challenge ourselves in those areas. This year, we're asking you in the Offering Fit for a King to consider not only bringing your offering, but to make a 36-month commitment to tell us, look forward three years uh, by faith and say, God, what do you want to give through me over the next three years, both in the Offering Fit for a King each year as well as month by month? And we're asking you to bring that commitment next Sunday, faith promise next Sunday and present it. We're all going to come down around the altars and we're going to pray together as a church family that God will receive our gift as an offering of worship. We're going to worship together. Our choir is going to sing a song that asks the question, is he worthy of our worship? The answer is yes. It's going to be a powerful time together around the altars. We're going to ask you to be a part of that. We're following the model that uh, the scriptures give us in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, the model that God gave David when he told him to raise the finances in order to build the temple of God. The first thing they did was, was they agreed to the need. They saw the vision and they agreed to the need. Hundreds of our people came to the vision gatherings last week on Wednesday and Thursday night. If you missed it, you probably got a package in the mail this, this week. Take some time and look through that packet. There's a, a note in there for, for a video of that vision gathering. You can watch the video. You can see what's going on. The first step in this journey is to come into agreement around the vision. I said in those vision gatherings that uh, the, the bottom line is that, yes, the, we're going to raise some money to do some things for the emerging generations out of this, but this is not a fundraising campaign as much as this is a unity around God's vision campaign. So first of all, they agreed. I've told you a couple of times in this series that agreement is coming together in unity around something that we believe God has given us. So get the packet if you haven't already. If you've got it, open it up, spend some time with it, watch the video. If you've got questions, let us know. We'd be glad to answer them for you. The second thing that they did in 1 Chronicles 29 is the leader announced what he was going to do. Kim and I have actually been in this place a few times in our lives over the years, and every time we've come to this place, Satan has hassled us uh, in profound kinds of ways. And I'll be honest with you, he's hassled us this year uh, more profoundly than in any time in our history. Every time we determine to resist Satan, to resist the distraction that he, brought, that he brought and recognize that God is about to do something amazing because Satan doesn't want it to happen. And anytime Satan stirs doubt, stirs fear, it's him trying to stop the vision of God from going forward. And so here we are again, and we've been praying for a while now. David stood up in first... Chronicles 29, and he announced what he was going to give. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to say the number. I don't want to tell you. I don't want to say a word. I don't. I don't because I really don't want to draw attention to myself in that way, but I'm going to for two reasons. One of them is I want you to know that leadership is not pointing the way and saying, y'all go there. Leadership is, come on, this is the safe way, follow me. And if I'm not willing to make a commitment to this kind of a thing, then I have no right as your pastor to ask you to. Bottom line. Second one is I can hardly wait to see how God's going to provide with the number that he's put in our hearts because he has every time. I won't take time to tell you stories, but I could have every time I've been in this place and we've stretched by faith, God has provided. And we look back on it and say, wow, look what God did. So 
don't want you to respond at all. Don't clap, don't boo, don't do nothing. I just, I don't even wanna say the number, but God, uh, we believe, Kim and I are in agreement, that God's told us to give $27,000 over the next three years to the Building for the Generations Fund. I have no idea where that's gonna come from. I ain't got $27,000 laying around I got nothing to do with. I can hardly wait to see what God's gonna do. The third step in this journey, thank you for not responding. The third step in this journey is the leaders brought their gifts. And again, in 1 Chronicles 29, David announced what the leaders were gonna do. And so we've asked our leaders to prayerfully consider telling us in advance what they're gonna do in this campaign. So again, you can see leadership. And as of today, our leaders in this church, both staff and lay leaders in this church have committed an average of about $9,000 over the next three years. As the Holy Spirit commits, uh, we know that God's gonna do amazing kinds of things. My favorite story from all of it though, my absolute favorite story, got permission to share it, was last week in the high school services. Pastor Luke told me there was one of the teenagers, one of the high schoolers, we had $100 that he had earned from summer activities and it was laying on his dresser and he's not sure what to do with that $100, where it needed to go. And when he came to the vision gathering, he said, that's, that's why God gave me that $100 because that's what I'm supposed to do. And he's given that $100 that he earned this summer to the giving building for the Generations Fund because God's spoken to his heart. Let the children lead them. Next week, the children are gonna bring their bricks, their little cardboard bricks. Fill them up, parents. You see somebody with a brick, fill it up. Put coins, and you can put some silent money in there if you want to, you know, the kind that doesn't go jingle. You can put the, the big checks and stuff like that in there. My grandchildren are gonna be here next week, and I'm gonna fill them. I'm gonna fill banks for them. They're in Virginia now, but they're gonna be here next weekend. I'm gonna fill their banks up, and, and our children are gonna go first as we come together to unite our hearts around building for the generation. Step four in 1 Chronicles 29 is that each family then followed their leaders. And so at the conclusion of our service next week, we're gonna ask you to come. We're gonna ask you to make a faith promise, give to the campaign. In fact, there's a, there's a chart somewhere in your seat. If you can get that in your hands, I think it's on the screens as well. I did a, did a little math out of curiosity, we've set a goal of $3 million as a miracle goal. Uh, we need about half of that to be able to move forward with the things that you're seeing in the, in the packet, but a miracle would be $3 million. This church not only would do all the things that we believe God's called us to do, but we would be debt-free in three years if, th if $3 million is committed. That would be phenomenal. In fact, I've said you can shave my head on this stage if that miracle goal comes in. It's going to grow back black, black and curly, I know. If you, or it's not going to grow back at all. I don't know. what. That's what's going to happen. But took a, take a look at the chart. Spend some time this week thinking about where do I fit in the chart. Kim and I looked at this chart, and we came down to, to the, toward the bottom. Three families giving $27,000. We said, okay, we're one of those three families. Some of you look at the... One family giving 90,000, you may say, well, that's not enough. God's gonna give more than that through us. You know, you know what God's speaking to your hearts. Some of you say, well, you know, $10 a month would be a stretch for me. That would be a faith gift for me. Hear my heart. Don't skip this. Don't say this is for somebody else. 
quite frankly, if I can say it bluntly, if the only thing you can believe God for is a dollar a month for 36 months, then fill out a card and put $36 on it. And every month comes by. If you don't have a dollar to give to it, then send me an email, come see me, text me, drop by the office. I will personally give you the dollar. I don't care if there's a hundred of you that do that. I will give you the dollar. Why? Because I want you to be a part. When God starts blessing in the amazing ways that we know he's going to as we come out of this pandemic and as the church expands and grows and as we invest in our emerging generations and as we make a difference in the drug epidemic that's going on all around us and as we get involved in the schools in our region and we see more and more young people being water baptized in this place, I want you to be a part of that. I want you to say, I gave to that. I sacrificed to give to that. I was a part of that. You know what that number is. I'm not concerned with the number other than all of us coming together. And I believe that if we will put our shoulders to the same wheel and push in the same direction, we will be amazed at what God will do. Can we pray together? Next Sunday is going to be a powerful day as we come together, we worship, we look at the last core value, reach globally. We'll talk a little bit about missions and outreach and the things that God's put in our hearts. And then we'll bring our offering fit for a king. We're going to finish around the altars in prayer and in worship. Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for these folks, many of whom have not been able to physically step on these grounds for a very long time, but they're faithfully watching online. So no matter where they are geographically in this moment, as we pray this prayer together, I pray simply, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we take a step of faith, believing that you're gonna provide more than we dare to dream or think or ask. And beyond that, you're going to bless us for having taken those steps of faith. Thank you for every man, woman, and child in this house who's going to lean in together to make a difference for the generations that are growing up around us desperately in need of Jesus. In Jesus' name.